afternoon, folks. Welcome into After the Bell. Delighted you are with us. It is me, Kevin Patrick. Now, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is that Corey Graves is spending time with his beautiful wife and his family. They're expecting a baby any day now. So we wish Corey, Carmela, and the entire family the very best. We send all our love. The bad news is actually some good news. It's bad news. Wade Barrett joining us here on the show for the next couple of weeks. Wade, what's the crack, bud? What a thrill. Thank you very much, especially to Corey for inviting me to come and sit in his seat yeah. for a couple of weeks. Yeah, really excited to be on the show. I've been on here a couple of times as a guest, but to be a host, wow, I feel like I've gone up in the world. I've got some real power now and I'm, I intend to use it. What have you been doing? Some face masks or what? Like you look as on, beautiful as ever. The wrinkles and like, here, like no, think think about what you've gone through over the last few days. From where Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, to Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, for Raw. Now you're back in LA. How are you looking so fresh? Yeah, it's been pretty wild. I'm not going to lie. I actually got nine and a half hours sleep last night, which for me is the world record. <laughs> um, I think I, I calculated, actually, I said on, because Raw was the East Coast, I said we'd gone back and forth over uh, 16 time zones. I'm actually on the West Coast. So for me, I've gone back and forth over 22 time zones over the past week or so and um, various kind of clock changes. Um, something like 21,000 miles, I think I've flown in the past week. So yeah, it's been pretty wild, but... When you get to the other end and you get shows like we had on Raw this past week with how that ended, and of course you get over to Riyadh and you've got Crown Jewel and the, the caliber of that show, it makes it all worthwhile. And that's why we all have such a great passion for this industry. And I can't wait to break some of that down with you, KP. Yeah, cheers, man. And we've got a cracking show in store. Following up after episode 200 last week, which I'm still buzzing about. That chat with John Cena was just something special. It really was. I'll cherish that for the rest of my life. A chance to sit down with Corey and John Cena for an hour, Wade, and, and just chat with the great man. I mean, the greatest of all time, as, as, as we all call him, and rightly so, to, to, to be a sponge next to someone like John Cena, it's just, there's no words to describe it. It's that important and special. Yeah, the man who has done everything there is to be done in this industry and is now out there conquering Hollywood. And what a pivotal week it was for John Cena in the world of WWE. I don't know if we're ever going to see him competing again. I, I'd love to know where really? his mind is at. Um, it was such a wild time at Crown Jewel with how things played out there. And John had put a lot of pressure on his own shoulders going into that matchup. He said it was a must win matchup for him against Solo Sokoa and uh, John didn't just lose the match he essentially got decimated by this young hungry superstar and that could be one of those changing of the guard moments and uh, I would hate look I've had my issues with John Cena over the years I think everyone remembers the 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 problems that John and the Nexus had way back in 2010 and we were kind of bitter enemies for a long time but with all the issues I've had with John Cena I did not want to see his career end like that if it, it, if it did indeed end there in Riyadh. But the way we look at Solo Sokoa now, after what he did, we're looking at him through a different lens all of a sudden. We knew he was the street champ, the enforcer, all that, but the way he went about dismantling the 16-time world champion was vicious and he didn't hold back at all. And, and I was just surprised and stunned and left with my jaw on the floor at the level of beatdown that John Cena received. Yeah, I think we've known for a long time now that Solo Sokoa is the real deal. Um, we didn't know he could pass a test on his own without backup from anyone else in the bloodline um, and also against one of the biggest players we've ever seen in John Cena. That was Solo Sokoa coming out of the shadows of Roman Reigns and saying, no, this is a real player here in WWE. This is a guy who potentially could be a WWE champion one day at the very top of the industry. That was a guy, Solo Sokoa, taking a slice of this pie for himself. While we're talking about vicious beatdowns, the ruthless nature, I say those words and I think Bobby Lashley. And that is the WWE superstar that's on the show here today, buzzing for a chat with Bobby Lashley on all things Street Profits and the mentorship that we see week in, week out. And also just what makes Bobby Lashley tick as the almighty. So really looking forward to having Bobby on in a few minutes time. We touched on the bloodline there, the main event from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, Wade. Wow. LA Knight comes out. First of all, I want to ask you the reaction in the arena to LA Knight because a lot of people wondered, would that translate? Would that go across to Saudi Arabia? Does it travel internationally? The fanfare of LA Knight. So what was it like when that music popped? It's interesting you ask that because I noticed 
in my own career, you would get very different reactions around the world for certain people. I think uh, probably about six months ago, Baron Corbin, he was on a tour in France. And this is a guy in his entire career has never once been cheered. He was the most popular guy on the entire show. <laughs> you'll, you'll find the, the clips on social media. France, for whatever reason, went absolutely nuts for Baron Corbin. And you never really know how guys are going to get their reactions. I think um, Drew McIntyre, who I think we'll come to a little later, he got a, a big reaction out there in Saudi Arabia. They loved him. And I wasn't quite sure if this whole yeah movement, the yeah revolution was going to be as global as we thought it was. We saw it earlier in the year in the UK and it was, but you've got to re-add it to a very different place. But that was as loud a reaction for LA Knight as I have ever heard. And that is saying something because pretty much for the past six to eight months, LA Knight has been getting bigger reactions than anyone. But I think Riyadh uh, at Crown Jewel, they they set it to a whole new level. And you saw all those posters they all had out there. Um, it was pretty much unwavering, unanimous support for LA Knight and Riyadh. So the, the year movement really is a global phenomenon. Yeah, and he would have became the undisputed WWE Universal Champion were it not for Jimmy Uso. Showing up out of absolutely nowhere yet again. Michael Cole said it with the perfect tone as well. Same old story. And it left an awful lot of the WWE Universe pissed off, Wade, that Roman Reigns continues to find a way to get it done, using the bloodline or not. And the tribal chief, at this point in time, I mean, when is this going to end? He's, he's come so close now to Bruno Sammartino and Hulk Hogan and surpassing their records. It could very well happen for the Tribal Chief, but it just left a lot of people annoyed and it left the entire fan base of Roman Reigns grinning ear to ear once more. Yeah, it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth of a lot of people because you want to either be there in person or at minimum watching live when this huge reign of Roman Reigns finally ends, okay? Because you want to be there in that moment watching history. Uh, especially when you've got a show like Crown Jewel. It's on at a slightly different time, so you have to recalibrate your day to make sure you don't miss it. Um, and you want to be there to say, yeah, I saw that moment live. History in the making is probably going to be the most historical moment of this generation in sports entertainment when Roman's reign ends. However, there is an alternative option, and that is that the reign doesn't ever end, and Roman one day retires as the undefeated champion. <laughs> and I think the way, well, the, the caliber of Roman as a competitor, first of all, who is above and beyond anyone else, but also the way he stacks the deck with the bloodline, utilizing Solo Sokoa, utilizing Jimmy Uso, utilizing whatever he has at his disposal to make sure he doesn't lose, it is increasingly looking likely to me that Roman may never lose that championship. And I think that is what is starting to dawn on a lot of the WWE universe. And it's starting to make them think that that moment of history that they all want to see happen, uh, they all want to be a part of, may never happen. I think they're quite bitter about that. Yeah, but throughout this whole rivalry with LA Knight, LA Knight did certain things to Roman Reigns that I don't know if I'd seen before. And it looked like he had rattled Roman Reigns even before the bell was, was rang here in, in Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah, well, you talk about that. I remember the the very beginning of the matchup. They're doing the kind of in-ring introductions. There's quite a lot of pomp and ceremony about that, especially when it comes to Roman Reigns. We're all aware in this industry that this is a a Hulk Hogan, a John Cena, a rock and stone cold Steve Austin kind of guy. This is a once in a generation kind of guy. And we give him that respect. Uh, and it's a spectacle in itself just watching the man walk to the ring uh, and get announced at the beginning. Normally, the competitor who's in there with him will show him that deference, show him that respect and give him that moment. Um, often, I feel it's because they kind of fear the power of Roman Reigns and what may happen in this match and nerves come into it. LA Knight wasn't like that at all. He got right up in the face of Roman Reigns, yelling at Roman Reigns as Roman Reigns was just trying to stand there and get his beauty shot, holding the championship above his head. Um, and I don't know that anyone has ever really done that to Roman before. And, and Roman seemed genuinely shocked and upset about it. Roman is a calm man. He's got everything in control. He's been in that main event spotlight way more than anybody else. But it was really him who felt rattled in the early goings of that. Do you know who we should all be thanking? Byron Saxton. Because everybody wanted to hear what LA Knight was saying to Roman Reigns. And Saxton, who jumped in as ring announcer and did a phenomenal job, by the way. Well played, buddy. Uh, he is looking at all of a sudden he's like, maybe 
people might want to hear what LA Knight's saying to Roman Reigns of all people. And Saxton just paused and, and waited to introduce Roman. And I love that moment from Saxton. He played a blinder all night, didn't he? Saxton is fantastic. I go way back with Byron Saxton. I, I first met him in 2008 when we were in Florida Championship Wrestling together. Um, Byron Saxton, I've said this time and time again, he is the most multi-talented guy in WWE. He can do it, almost do it all. He can, you know, he can do color commentary. He can do play-by-play, ring announcing, backstage interviews. He can be the, the kind of guy out in the crowd hyping everybody up. He really can do it all. He, he even used to compete in the ring, and he was he was a pretty solid competitor. The only thing Byron Saxton can't do, and I know this from experience, is manage another wrestler. He is the only manager I have ever had in my entire career. I like to talk. I didn't really like a manager, but I got Byron Saxton as my manager for about three or four months in 2008. No way. Um, yeah, he was my manager in, in, in FCW, and I lost every single match under the gui- <laughs> guidance of Byron Saxton. I had to fire him. He is the only guy I ever had as a manager, and I didn't win a single match. So Byron Saxton, brilliant at everything except being a manager, just never take him on board as your manager is my advice to any younger talent. I can imagine this pre-match talk. Listen, Wade, you know, you just enjoy yourself out there. It doesn't matter if you win or lose, as long as you're having fun and, and you can be happy with yourself. And he, it's, it doesn't, he didn't fit with me at all, right? I was this rough and ready bare knuckle fighter. Byron Saxton would come out with these sparkly jackets on. He'd wear white gloves, a bow tie. I was like, what am I doing with this guy? He's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> actively ruining my career. We love you really, Saxton, but uh, you and yeah. I as manager, no, no, never going to happen again. Yeah, it, it's not going to work. Do you know who might need a manager these days? Who's Drew that? McIntyre. Ooh. Drew McIntyre. Right, yeah. Seth Rollins, look, it's Seth Rollins we're talking about. He's been operating on a, on a different level for a long, long time now. Seth retains his World Heavyweight Championship, but there was something in the eye of Drew McIntyre afterward. Watching him leaving, this look of, of resignation, distraught, unsure what the future holds. And you've known Drew McIntyre for a long time now. You guys go way back to your days across the UK. What's he feeling right now, do you think? So Drew went into that matchup with Seth. Um, He'd had a horrible two or three years. We know the story. He was the champion when we had the COVID era, no fans. uh, And continually since then, he's kind of been screwed over. He had the matchup at Clash at the Castle where he he potentially would have dethroned Roman. Again, he got screwed by Solo Sokoa. He's had a lot of anger and anxiety built up inside him over the past couple of years where he feels like he's been hard done by. He feels like um, he's been screwed over a bunch and through no fault of his own, he hasn't met that top tier where he really does belong. Now, the issue is he went into this matchup knowing there are no excuses if you fail. If you fail, it's because you didn't make the grade against somebody who on the night competed better than you. And I think the fact that Drew has no one to blame but himself has really damaged and hurt his ego at this point. And when someone has a damaged ego and is as volatile as someone like Drew McIntyre is, it makes them really unpredictable. And I texted Drew at the end of the show at Crown Jewel. Hey, I'm sorry, man. If you want to have a chat, you want to get a beer sometime, let me know. We'll, we'll talk it through. I just want to make sure you're doing okay. I got no reply. I don't wow. know where Drew's head is at right now. He turned up at WWE Raw this past week. Um, they tried to interview him. He, he just turned around, got straight back in his car and drove off. So I don't know what he's thinking. I know he's hurting right now. Um, I am concerned for him. And if I can get in any form of contact with him and he replies, I will let you know. Well, yeah, I'm thinking of him. Look, Drew's a great guy, but but Drew, that fire burns deep within Drew. And he's a, he's a stupidly good competitor. But that competitor and that nature within you, Wade, you've been there. It, it can come at a fault sometimes. It could derail you, right? Like, so... Uh, I hope Drew gets back in the in the mental space where he's ready to tear people's heads off again in the WWE ring because he's one of the best that I've seen since I've been with WWE over the last two and a half years or so. I arrived in during the Drew McIntyre era and he needs to get back to that place both mentally and physically he's there. It's just mentally there's something missing right now with Drew and I feel for him quite honestly. Yeah, and as a competitor, I can tell you point blank from my own career, if you look at 2014, 15, 16 for me, um, my career wasn't going where I wanted it to go. And I was very upset and I was angry and I felt like I was banging my head against the wall. And it got to a point where I felt I had to hang up the boots and walk away from the industry. And I left for about four years. Um, 
That was how I reacted to these continual disappointments. I don't know if Drew is going to react the same way. I mean, he could potentially walk away from this. It could be the the thing that gives him the the boot of the backside that that makes him find another gear, or he could react in a very, very negative way and become a completely different kind of personality and, and throw his toys out of the pram and react um, badly. So I don't know how this is going to go. I hope he can get through this, and I hope we're, we're going to see him back competing at his best in WWE again very soon, but I just don't know right now. It didn't take Seth Freakin' Rollins much time, did it? Holds a World Heavyweight Championship match on Monday Night Raw against Sami Zayn, who helped him out an awful lot as Damian Priest tried to cash in the Money in the Bank contract at Crown Jewel. Seth retains, but it developed on Raw. How exciting is Survivor Series going to be two weeks from tomorrow as Seth freaking Rollins teams up with Sami Zayn, Jey Uso, and Cody Rhodes. What a, what a quartet that is against the Judgment Day. Yeah, it's a pretty wild setup for me. First of all, hats off to Seth Rollins and indeed Sami Zayn for that main event on Raw. After everything they'd been through, not only competing over at Crown Jewel, but then flying back the, the hellish journey we all had to get over to Raw that quickly. Um, for them to compete at the level they did, I don't think there's any other athletes on planet Earth that could have gone through what they'd gone through in the, the 48 hours and then gone on and performed at an athletic level like they did in that main event and put on an absolute belter of a matchup. Um, but you're right, that was one of the hottest endings to Raw I have seen in a long time. And what really excites me, look, we all love a good multi-man match, a four-on-four. War Games is superb. It's a brutal kind of matchup. But what I really enjoyed about that is, if you look back historically, oftentimes WWE is put on these multi-man matches, these four-on-fours and stuff. And you just, you don't really get the sense that it's important who wins them. Sometimes they used to have them there. Okay, we're going to have four Raw guys against four SmackDowns, and it's it's the right for brand supremacy, and they're all going to wear a red T-shirt or a blue T-shirt, and I've been in those matches before. And you just sense that, look, I want to win. If I lose, it doesn't really matter. I'm not really going up the pecking order here. I'm not going down. But this War Games that we've got set up, I really sense that between Judgment Day and the, and the four guys with with Seth and, and Cody and, and and everyone else on that team, I feel like those guys, A, they're all main eventers, but B, I feel like they all want to rip each other to shreds. There's some genuine resentment. There's some genuine bile between these guys. And I think victory is paramount for all of them. And um, it's it's really exciting to have one of these matches that, wow, that that's going to be massive. I do not want to miss Survivor Series War Games at all. But you think about the layers to this one as well. Like, you go back a year to War Games. It was Sami Zayn, a member of the Bloodline, with Jey Uso. Now, Sami Zayn and Jey Uso are together again, but on the other side, you've also got Seth freaking Rollins teaming up with Cody Rhodes in Chicago. Chicago, the venue for that famous Hell in a Cell match when Cody ripped the peck off his body and, and, and we all saw what we saw. One of the most epic matches in the history of WWE. So there's so many layers to this, and it's only two weeks away now, Wade. Yeah, there's a lot of beef historically between some of the competitors on that on that team with Cody. Um, and I have to say, the reason a lot of that has been completely put to the side is because all the competitors on that side know what a growing threat the Judgment Day are. They know they have to band together. They do not want to see, as I think Sami Zayn put it, the Bloodline 2.0, which is very close to the accumulation of power within the Judgment Day and all this gold they've got. Um, it's going to be a big issue, and it needs the kind of personalities and the kind of competitors we've got in that team to try and combat them. So, yeah, it's going to be huge. It's like, like you say, it's just over two weeks away at this point, and uh, I cannot wait to get to Chicago notoriously one of the most cauldron-like arenas we ever run. Always a superb crowd. You never quite know what you're going to get from them, but I do know we're going to get an absolute banger in that War Games matchup. Yeah, what is it about crowds? Because I've heard you talk about crowds before. John Cena last week spent some time talking about crowds and how he studies the crowds as a competitor before he goes out there. Do you do the same as a commentator now that you're in a different position? Can you look around and say to yourself, well, traditionally this is good, but... I'm not sure I'm feeling it tonight, and here's why. Is there something that I'm missing here? Yeah, I remember from my own career 
doing what John was talking about and, and eyeing up the crowd and seeing how they're going to react. Like 99% of the time, I would have been booed out of the building. Occasionally, we'd be competing over in the UK or even France at times, and, and sometimes I'd be the, you know what, they're going to cheer me over the 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 perceived good guy that I'm in the ring with, like a, a Seamus or someone like that. And I always liked those moments because... Um, not so much that I liked getting cheered. I just like looking across the ring at the guy that is normally cheered and thinking this guy is completely thrown off. He doesn't like the fact that he's getting booed. He's got an ego. He is butthurt right now because they're cheering this guy over him. And that always threw them off. So yeah, uh, you know, as a, as an analyst now sitting at the desk, I really enjoy kind of being on the outside of the fringes of the crowd, not really being kind of affected by them like the competitors, but I do like to think how these these guys yelling and cheering are, are really affecting the guys in the ring. How are you enjoying your journey as a commentator? Oh, I love it. I'll, I've said it time and time again. I'm enjoying my time as a commentator more than I ever enjoyed my time in the ring, which is usually when you... But you're really fortunate to get one career in this industry. I'm aware my in-ring run, it lasted a long time, had a lot of fun, scratched a lot of the itches I had and, and achieved the majority of the things I wanted to achieve. Um, but I would say this... You, you're super, super lucky. If you get a second bite of the cherry and, and get a chance to have another run, another career in this industry and be around this crazy wild circus that we have, you're incredibly lucky. And I'm, uh, this time I, I just have so much fun being completely in control of me. I'm not waiting for somebody in management to say, okay, wait, tonight you get to take on this guy. <laughs> or I'm not waiting for, for those plum opportunities that guys are constantly scrambling for. I know what my role is. I know every week I'm going to be sat next to Michael Cole. I'm going to be calling the action. Occasionally I get to sit next to Kevin Patrick too, which was a, a real treat. And um, I, I like Likewise. knowing Thank what you for my job is. No, that was a lot of fun. But I like knowing what my role is. I also like the fact that I have no one to blame but myself. If I have a good night, you know what? I prepped really well. I thought about my angles, and I nailed it tonight. And if I have a bad night, once again, it's my fault. I'm not blaming someone in management. I'm not saying, why do they keep making me compete against that guy? Why do they keep, you know, not giving me the prime opportunity? So it's all on me now, and I feel like sink or swim, and I – my personality type, I handle that a lot better than, than relying on other people to, to give me opportunities. Take 100% responsibility. You're sounding like a winner right now, my friend. Fair play to you. <laughs> you know who else is a winner? And he's a motivator. And he's someone we can dive into now. And we have the privilege to have a great chat. Welcome to After the Bell, the almighty Bobby Lashley. I can tell you, folks, it is possible to be intimidated over a video call. Bobby Lashley, welcome back to After the Bell. We're delighted to have you. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, man. Bobby, you're looking handsome as always, pal. Listen, you took a bit of a break from WWE, but when you arrived back, it was very obvious to everybody that we're seeing a different persona. The no BS Bobby Lashley that returned. Why are we seeing this? What's behind it? Uh, man, because, you know, it, our, our business is, is very troubling at times and it's very stressful mentally um, because you want to know where you're at. And and if you're talking about just the last kind of break I took, I think a lot of things, it, it, the situation revolving WrestleMania kind of really, really hit me pretty hard. You know, I put in a lot of work throughout the year, put myself at a certain level in the company and I've, and I've kept that level up. Um, I work my ass off. I train hard all the time. Everybody knows that's just me. And then um, when that big show came around, I just, I didn't have a spot at WrestleMania. And, um, you know, try to hold it in. And, and, and when you have your kids calling, when you're supposed to be there, and I'm, I'm there in all Los Angeles, ready to go, you know, the whole time is thinking, oh, just call me in, coach, call me in. You know, I'm, I'm that guy sitting, like, call me in, call me in, I'm ready. And then my kids, you know, after the first day calling, hey, dad, are you going to be on? Because if you're going to be on, we'll fly up there. We want to see you and everything like that. Because they've been to everything that I've, I was in. And um, that was kind of a little bit of a mind trip, you know, to kind of take a back seat at a time like that. So um, with coming back, <clears throat> I look at my career and, and some of the things that I did in my career. And I was like, when were the times that I was the most successful? And, and those times were when I really didn't care as much because a, a lot of people know me in the wrestling business and 
backstage or whatever. Everybody's like, hey, Bobby's a nice guy. Bobby's a good guy. And I, and I always carry myself that way. But in this business, you see a lot of people kind of like just walk over and step over and, and get their treatments and get their special treatments and everything like that. And if you're not one of those preppy guys to get that kind of treatment, you got to start taking what you want. And then I, and so that's me personally. But then looking at the landscape of some of the guys in the business, I'm looking who, who, who are those guys that kind of fit that same ideal that I was in. And the first people that came in the, in the, in the mind is the street profits guys, extremely talented. Um, you know, <laughs> take the gloves off. They can whoop anybody in the business right now, but they're sitting back eating catering not getting spotlighted, don't have titles, not in title picture is like, come on, man. It's, it's, it's the same thing that we did before when, um, when I had the group, the herb business, it was a lot of guys with amount with huge amounts of potential that weren't getting their just due. So that's kind of been my MO in this business all along. I'm that guy that if you need me for something, I can be there for you. If you need me to represent the company, I can represent the company as a professional wrestler. I can represent the company as a businessman. I can represent the company any way you need it to be represented at a high level. But the spotlight is what's important in this business. He who gets the spotlight has money. (laughs) (laughs) Smart man, Bobby. And I've got to say, I, I know you had a real rough time over the wrestlemania i think you you ended up winning the andre the giant battle royal memorial trophy right before wrestlemania but there's nothing quite like that big event that extravaganza at wrestlemania and missing out on that i don't know how many more years you're planning to go on in your career you're about 20 years deep already you still look like you're 25 years old i don't know how you manage it but Those moments can really turn a professional's career. And I, I find it inspiring that you've decided to grab the bull by the horns now and take two younger guys who are perhaps not getting that spotlight to under your wing and, and take them to the top. But what was it specifically when you looked at the Street Profits, two nice guys, you thought you could turn them into, no, these, these guys need a harder edge. Why did you think to yourself these two guys are appropriate rather than some others who might be in the locker room that would have been easier to convert to your current way of thinking? Because I looked at myself in them. I saw myself in them. And that was the first part. And then the, and the second part is every time when I talked to them, there was always that good conversation, that fun conversation. And I was like, you guys are doing the same thing that I did. You're having a good time. You love being here. And and everything about you is is the same things that I was going through. And I was like, man, you know what? If, if, if we're going to start making some waves around here, I need some good allies. And those guys seem like good allies. I think there's there's a, a few other guys that can probably look to step their game up a little bit, but I think those guys have a little privilege that maybe the profits don't. So it's it's interesting that you talk about other guys in the locker room who who may be ripe for the pickings for Bobby Lashley's crew. I've noticed in recent weeks B Fab kind of having some conversations with the almighty Bobby <laughs> Lashley. What can you tell us about that situation? She's a very intelligent woman. And? And? <laughs> so, so you, what we, we talked day, about, um, she's a very interesting woman. That's, that's what I have to say about that. I mean, um, like since I came together with the Street Profits, a lot of people have hit me up um, social media or they've been just walking up to me at the show or in the locker room and catching up and, and trying to say, hey, man, I'd, I'd love to join your group or I'd love to see what you guys have. And of course we're open to hearing any suggestions. Um, we did toy around with having a female join the group and, um, and I've heard some different suggestions on that. Also BFAB came with something that was very interesting. So I'm not quite sure we're going to work with her, but right now what she did present to me last week was very interesting. And I want to see, if that can manifest in anything. It feels like in this day and age, when you look at the likes of the LWO with Zelina Vega, and of course, um, with the Judgment Day, they've got Rhea Ripley. It feels to to round out the group and protect your back at all times. You kind of need that female presence in every group nowadays. So I'd suggest may well be worth looking at BFAB, who I, I for one think is a, an unpolished diamond on the show. 
She is, you know, she's been working her butt off and I know that she's been doing that over at um, the PC and I know that she's been working with Natalia and, and TJ um, religiously and she's all in. Uh, I, I, I like what she had to say, but of course, you know, with wrestling, there's several people in line. There's a lot of people that we have to look at before we put it all together. Seems like we're getting to a little bit of a gang war, huh? You know, every, everybody's trying to knuckle up. You need <laughs> always time. like, <laughs> there's, no, there's none. Um, you know, I, I remember Batista's song, I Walk Alone, and, and that's how I've always been in my career. But I know the times when, I, when you actually become successful with a group of people that you really like to be with, and it's actually cool also, you know, like I had with the Herbis. That was a really special time in my career. And then just moving forward, working out with the Street Profits. The more and more we work together, the more and more the synergy is coming together. And I actually like those guys more and more every time I work with them. It's interesting you say that. It looks to have been, so far at least, a real learning curve for Montez and Dawkins. Because you're tough on them, Bobby. You really are. How do you describe your leadership technique it's, it's what I do. That's what I got to choose. Because, you know, when mentoring guys in the business, it's in, and let me, let me, let me use my son for an analogy. And, and I talked to a friend of mine, a good friend of mine that was an Olympian. I said, you know what? You knew what it took to become successful. Do you force that on your kids or you just allow them to find their way? And the answer is you got to force it on them because they're going to be appreciative later when they, when they find the success and find the, and, and then they understand why you were doing the things that you were doing before. But the Street Profits is no different. Those guys came up. I saw them every time. You know, they come back after a match. Oh, man, that was a great match. It's like, what do you mean that was a great match? You lost or you didn't win. I mean, they had some success because they won the WWE championships. They won the NXT titles. So they had those. But they need to sustain. They need to keep those titles. So for me... When I see them taking that step back, it's like somebody needs to light that fire in their ass to kind of kick it back and 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 really go for it and and, and set that dominance. Hold, have a title reign like Roman, where Roman kept the title for 300 days or, or what is he, a thousand days right now, 2,000 days? He's at an astronomical time. Now, those guys have that opportunity to do the same thing because if you really see what they have and if you watch their matches back, it's like you have the capability of beating everyone. But if you can, if you keep pulling yourself back and thinking, oh, well, we had a good match. It was a good time and I'm happy to be here and everything like that. Your career is just going to be a mid-card guy for the rest of the time with some accolades in there. So we're just trying to take them to that next level where they stay on top for as long as they stay in the business. I got to tell you, Bobby, I think Montez over the past few years has naturally grabbed the spotlight. And I think at times Dawkins has kind of been left in the shade with that group, as talented as he is. But having this harder edge and, and falling under the wing of Bobby Lashley, I feel like this could really be the making of Angelo Dawkins. I think this is perhaps a bigger opportunity for Dawks than it is for Montez. How would you feel about that? It is. It is. I think it's a big test. I think it's big for both of them. You know, Dawkins is one of the, he's, he's kind of a sleeper. Like I, I had to talk with him last week and I was like, bro, do you, you realize <laughs> what you have? Um, he's six, five. He's, he's a big dude. He makes everybody in our group look small, but he wrestles smaller. I'm like, no, man. I said, I understand that you want to go out there and have good matches and, and fun matches and show people different things. But I, I think at the end of the day, you, you need to just start killing people. Crushing what do you people. mean by what do you mean by wrestle smaller? Wrestle smart? No, what do you mean by wrestle smaller? He wrestles smaller when you're talking about uh, weapons. For the average person who's never been inside the squared circle, like me, what does that mean? <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's there's there's a level and there's a there's a way a big guy wrestles a little bit different than some of the smaller guys, and and I think the smaller guys go after the bigger guys saying that they're not great workers because they can't do moonsaults and, and dives and everything like that. There's a need for everybody in the business. And if everybody was doing that, if you have guys at the cruiserweight division doing choke slams, then, then it makes no sense. And I'm not saying that Dawkins would be out there choke slamming and power bombing people, but he's a big dude. And he should be able to put a lot more thump on the people and it should be harder for people to knock him down and there's not a need for him doing 
certain things in there, I don't think. I think for him just to grab hold of somebody and throw him down and, and go on from there and, and, and be him, as opposed to try to be someone else just to have a quote-unquote cool match with someone. And I think he's already there. I think everything that he has is a very solid and I think that um, there's certain things that I'm having kind of tweak here and tweak there, but I think he's going to be that kind of monster that we need for the group. I think you absolutely nailed it. I think at times Dawkins has been held back by the fact that they've presented themselves as fan favorites. It's really easy for Montez to do that. He's the smoothest guy in the ring. He's so good looking. Everybody yeah. wants to cheer for Montez. And I think at times Dawkins has looked at Montez and thought, wow, I've got to try and do what he does as much as I can. I've got to try and be that pretty guy in the ring too. I don't think he, has, he does at all. I think he's got to be in there, like you say, as a killer. He's the bruiser of the group. And the more he kind of splits away from that style of, of Montez and, and separates and, and becomes his own man in there, becomes as rough as he possibly can in that ring, I think the better for him and the better for your group. Absolutely. And we hit the, we hit the gym, we hit the gym a few weeks back and and I was dying to get him in there. I was like, bro, we, we had to hit the gym and, and Montez was all for it because he actually has a contest. Um, this coming up weekend, I, I fitness competition. I think he's doing, um, physique or one of the two. So he's been hitting the weights hard. I mean, he looks like a million bucks right now. And, um, so we had to pull Dawkins in there also. He was like, Hey man, you got to come too. So he's like, ah, oh, you know, he's so laid back all the time. But <laughs> Dawkins has a real cool thing about him, man. He has this like just real cool at, um, attitude, and 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 he has a lot of personality that people don't really see as much because Montez is so charismatic. But when you kind of look at them together, they fit really well together, and I think they're a good unit. But I think, like you said, I think Dawkins needs to play that role of knuckles start beating people down he's the smashy you're right he's a big personality i'm in a fantasy football group with him he's a very funny guy away from the <laughs> ring but i would not want to be the guy who upsets him i really think he's going to start kicking some ass over the next 12 months with this new group that's what i told him I, I i say it all the time i'm like man people ask about me i'm like man i am a nice dude i'm a nice guy i i <laughs> that's something about me that my daughters have made sure that i am and 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 that's one thing that i really um i really hold high about myself is is the person i am but man i do bad things and i know i do and and there's nothing wrong with that i mean i fought for 12 years i've wrestled for over 20 something years amateur wrestling everything like that and when i get in the ring I, I truly try to damn near murder people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because outside of the cage, outside of the ring, I'm me. I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I got a smile on my face all the time. And I love people. But, you know, when we cross over into that realm of that fight world, it's a whole different person come out. And that's what I need out of him. He can still be the same person he is. But when we get in that ring, I need to switch. But he's a different fella outside of the ring now too, guys, because look at look at them. Three-piece suits, looking a million dollars. That's your influence as well, Bobby. Yes, yes. We're stars, man. We're stars. We get, we get paid a lot of money. You, you go to an NBA game and you're seeing these guys, they're like walking down the, the, the carpet or they're, they're like walking down the runway. You know, these guys are dressed to nine and everything like that. And I was like, bro. I don't want to. I, I, we should be the same way. We walk through the airport. It shouldn't be the guys with the with the basketball shorts on a ripped up t shirt on. Like, oh, those are pro wrestlers. No, bro, that's not it. That's not it. We need to hold ourselves with a with a level of respect because our company is big, man, and, and we and we go around. We're global, and I want people to look at us in a certain way. You know, it's it's comfortable. I love sweats better than anyone else but when you see me in, in in public places you see me in a place walking to the building walking from the building going through the airports everything like that somebody if they never watched wrestling before besides my size they're, they're gonna say he's got to be somebody who is that and that, that 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 in turn brings more people into watching or finding out or coming up to you and it's like all right here's my instagram oh you professional wrestling oh you're on friday nights oh man i'm gonna tune in to see that you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about growing the company and building this company up. So we have to look that part also. 
Well, certainly there is a financial aspect of looking the part, though. The threads you guys have been wearing are expensive. <laughs> now, Bobby, we saw on TV you you paid for the first couple of suits for the Street Profits. Are you still paying for them? Or have you said, "Hey, lads, it's time for you to start kicking in a little cash on this one"? No, they, they've been they've been they've been buying their own, and, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you know, when we were in a group text and and they found a couple places that we have a couple suits that are more fitting for them. So um, we look at some of that because, and then I also brought my tailor to the last show we had. Where Is was that why it? I got kicked uh, out of the room? I asked. Yes. Yes, it I was. I asked, would he mind measuring me up? You can't afford said, it, KP. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll work on you later. We'll work on you later. We need Go somebody. Go to warehouse. It's fine, KP. <laughs> Nobody looks at the commentators anyway. <laughs> 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 yeah, it is. I mean, the guy I had my tailor come up, he's a huge wrestling fan, and he, he was trying to get in contact with me years ago. And um, when I moved down to Dallas, I actually met up with him. And then ever since then, he's been tailoring suits for me. And, and like, my suit collection is crazy right now. But but I enjoy it. I enjoy it. And And outside of wrestling... It's not just wrestling. It's not just what I wear in the ring. You know, I have meetings throughout the day. Like I have, I have a couple pretty powerful meetings that I go to that I'm going to today later on with some developers that are trying to develop half of um, the Dallas area. And um, and I just purchased a couple apartments. So I'm meeting with some developers there and some of the people for funding and all these different things. So uh, not only are we doing stuff inside the ring, but I'm actually helping these guys out financially outside of the ring because when i first came in you know a lot of these guys um are the same as as me you know making a whole bunch of money and it's like they're talking about what shoes are getting the new jordans they're getting and i'm like man come on you're not paying fifteen hundred dollars for some jordans man come on <laughs> and, and so i try to help these guys out financially a little bit because you know when we're making money our body is our our, our biggest tool or acid in order to keep us going if it breaks down you're in trouble because it's, it's hard to make the kind of money that we're making in wwe in the regular world so um i try to tell these guys and help these guys out with some of their investing i do a lot of real estate i jumped into oil and gas just recently and um and i got another a couple other ventures that i'm looking into also so i'm helping these guys on that side also forcing those guys to go into more investing to doing some good stuff with their money. So I'm I'm fascinated by this. Now you are known within the locker room certainly as a as a business mogul outside of the ring. I don't know how much the public knows about that. I would love yes. to know the kind of opportunities you just mentioned there, the business dealings. Do these just come to you because you are Bobby Lashley, this A-list star without, within our industry? Or is this something you have to go out and network and grind and find these deals? Because the average person doesn't come across deals like Bobby Lashley finds very easily. Well, first, first of all, I, I go and find them. I have a team that I work with, uh, my nephew and, and, and my girl, we, we just, we sit there and look at, look for properties everywhere. Like I have at this point, I don't even know how many doors I have right now. I'm, I'm not in the 40 or 50. Um, so I just bought a few apartment complexes over the last few months and, um, and I have a bunch of single family homes. Uh, but I just, I search for the hot areas and I really do some research on different areas that are coming up and why they're coming up. And then a lot of times when people research areas, they find an area, but that area is already booming. So by the time you get in there, all the property values up and it's slim pickings. So I have a, I have a method of kind of looking at the expansion of those areas. For example, um, Nashville was an area that just boomed lately. Okay. Now with Nashville being Nashville, you, it's hard to get in there and make profit off of some of the properties that they have. So if it expands, we've, we've went down as far as um, Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. It's huge opportunities out there because you can still find some properties that are a little lower, but they're, they're slowly but surely they're, they're renovating that whole area. So I just bought an apartment complex down there. This is unreal. I love this. I mean, the almighty motivator. And people, listen, certain people go to Tony Robbins, you know, or maybe it's Gary V looking for a bit of motivation. I do it at TVL 
Wade, with Bobby Lashley, I'll try and just sneak up to Bobby and just be a sponge for a few minutes. Well, Bobby we should start charging you for that. 100%. He hasn't yet. Right, he hasn't caught on. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But if, if we have listeners right now, Bobby, that aren't making WWE money at all, right? That, that, that maybe right. just getting by paycheck to paycheck and maybe not hitting the gym as much as they would like or, or keeping up on their fitness as much as they would like. I know I'm one of those that needs to be more disciplined. What's your day-to-day advice for anyone listening to After the Bell right now, coming from the almighty Bobby Lashley? I think, I think you know what? I think a lot of times people know, they just don't do. So it's, it's not a fact of telling them what to do. I think a lot of times people are becoming these coaches, life coaches and everything like that. And I think the biggest thing with the life coach is just to make sure and keep people honest with what they have to do. Like I can start rattling off things that I think that you need to do in order to be successful, but it's not something that, people haven't heard many times before. For example, if I say, wake up early in the morning, wake up early in the morning because that's the time that you can go and find the deals. That's the time that you can get some work done without any distractions. Make your bed. You know, there, there was that one um, YouTube video that, that went viral and everybody talks about it, about the general that talked about get up in the morning and make your bed. It's a small thing, but it's a huge deal of getting yourself disciplined and doing things that you should do. So I believe in waking up um, early, um, getting your cardio in, making your bed before you go to the gym, <laughs> and come back eating breakfast. And then after that, do a little piece that's going to make you better. You know, reading is important. Um, I have all kinds of stuff sitting around here, you know, that I'm always dealing with in my office as far as business deal. And then find your passion. My biggest thing that I like to tell people, and I was just talking about this the other day, everybody has their genius. Okay. Um, and, and, and people are like, well, I'm not good at this. I'm not, if you find a genius, I believe everybody has their genius. And if you find that you might have one or two, or maybe even more for me, I have many, <laughs> I, I consider myself a genius at a lot of things. Um, but, um, take those and really work at it and work hard at it and not, and don't let yourself be distracted. When I got into real estate, you know, there were so many other investments that got thrown my way. And I threw money into him and I lost it and I threw money over here and I lost it. And it's like, and then I met with a, a friend of mine that's, that's a mentor that does big businesses. This is, this is a guy that's doing hundred million dollar pro- projects. And, and I was talking to him about like, Oh, I have some option of, of opening up this a franchise over here doing this and doing that. He said, well, where have you made most of your money? I said, well, real estate, he goes, we'll stick to that. And I was just like, but, but, stick to that. He said, because once you start doing all these other things, you're going to start minimizing your attention towards what's actually making you money. So, um, so I stuck with that. So I stuck with real estate and there are some other things that I'm still a little hard headed that I want to open up. Like I opened up a hot works franchise and a couple other things that I just wanted to throw some money into, but ultimately all my money's right into that, into real estate. And it's been doing great. I love the fact that people are now listening to this thinking he's the most disciplined fella in the world, but he does have a vice. Do you know what it is? Crumble cookies. Crumble cookies are the thing that Bobby buckles with every time he sees them. Am I right or wrong? Oh man, I'm telling you. It's, it's a, I won't say it's an addiction, but, but I'll, I'll use an addiction if you, if we need a word. Man, cookies, it's just something about them. It's, and crumble cookies are great. We have another place over here called Cookie Society. So I started talking about Crumble Cookie, and then one time I ate Crumble uh, Cookie Society, and the guy hit me up. I guess he was he went through um, Shark Tank, and Mark Cuban picked him up. So he's he's pretty big, also. So I mean, there's there's a little bit of competition there, and they're both right by my house. If I order them, they're here. I'm like, man, there was one time, just actually we just ordered cookies two days ago. We're sitting there watching a movie, and my kids are like, man, I don't want something sweet. I was like, ah, oh, that's cookies. It is. Boom. So I ordered cookies. By the time I put my phone down and me and my son were playing a game, not more than a couple minutes later, ding dong. I was like, there's no way that's the cookies. They're at my house in like less than 10 minutes. So my addiction is definitely fed with with Uber Eats and and Cookie Society and Cookie Crumble or Crumble (laughs) Cookie. I don't think I've ever seen Bobby Lashley quite as enthusiastic as this. 
two-minute monologue on cookies. And I'll tell you this, if, if I was two months out from WrestleMania and I had to fight Bobby Lashley, I would just load the locker room every week with these cookies. Bobby turns up at WrestleMania, his music's playing, he walks out, he's completely out of shape. I was like, yes, I got him. <laughs> the cookies here is kryptonite. <laughs> Dangerous I, I information. Think, I think, I think- I think they'll just make me more vascular. <laughs> yeah, I don't think your body processes cookies like the average person. So Bobby can get away with it. The rest, the rest of us can't. <laughs> I love them. That's because you do your cardio first thing in the morning. We've talked about this. See, Bobby says yeah. to me, Wade, you can eat what you want as long as before you have your breakfast, he do a cardio blast. No joke at all. We've got a treadmill arriving here at the house tomorrow. Got a treadmill for the gaff. Yeah. And I needed one because I want to do the Bobby. And wait, this is also something I, I'm going off here a little bit. But my wife and, and kids, they'll laugh because I'll say, come on, we'll do a 15-minute Bobby. It, it's a thing in our house. So if, if, you're, if you're out of time, you can do the 15-minute hit session that Bobby told us all. We were in, we were in TVL yes. one day, peeling back the curtain here at WWE a little bit. Our truth was there, MVP. MVP son, your kids were there, Bobby. And Bobby Lashley had everybody. MVP's kids like eight. <laughs> and they were all down doing the 15-minute Bobby for a workout backstage. I've, I've never been awesome. to Bobby Lashley's house. I, in my head, imagine it as being at least one piece of workout equipment in every single yeah. room. There's no way <laughs> oh, Bobby God. can be far from a piece of workout equipment. <laughs> my, my son's actually turning into that gym right. You know, the other day... Um, it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so my son went to football practice and then he, after football practice, he had this like wrestling clinic thing. So I was like, God, I gotta go pick him up after the, you know, he had football practice and then he went straight to the wrestling clinic and then I go pick him up and bring him home. And he's like throwing food down. And he's like throwing stuff in his bag. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I gotta go run to the gym. And I was like, what? You gonna run? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Where did you get that from? <laughs> Go ahead. He's got a lot to live up to, Bobby. That's the thing. I know you mentioned he's, he's playing football now and he's trying to develop his athletic prowess. That is a, a lot to live up to when your dad is Bobby Lashley. Man, I, I, don't, mind, I don't mind keeping that bar really high for him. This is what we need as kids. That's what kids need. If they don't have that bar, then they just kind of float, you know, and, and, um, and, oh, God, huge deal for me. Um, my son's starting to wrestle. And of course, wrestling was my background. I won nationals in college three times and won high school states and all that stuff and did a whole bunch with wrestling. And um, my son's, he, he didn't have an opportunity to get into a really good wrestling program when we were in Colorado. And now that we move out here, Texas is not a powerhouse in wrestling, but the school that he goes to, they're very athletic. So the football players, their coaches almost like force them into wrestling. My son wanted to do it anyway, but um, I get to coach. I get to coach. That's what I've been dying to do. <laughs> if I left WWE for anything else, I would be a high school wrestling coach. Um that would be like a dream for me. And these other coaches hear that they're like, what? You can take out my team. And I'm like, Oh, um, but I do. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I actually spoke with the coach yesterday because yesterday was the first day of practice. So the coach was like, we'd love to have you. And um, yes, come on in. So yeah. I will be coaching amateur wrestling. They, they would love to have you because they know that Bobby Lashley as their coach would be like Coach Prime in Colorado. Suddenly, <laughs> you would become the powerhouse school yeah. just by virtue of the fact that the kids want to be trained by Bobby Lashley. So completely makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, when, when I when I started talking with these kids, I was like, I'm, I'm sitting there watching coaches, high school wrestling coaches. And, and I even said it before. Um, and this is just getting amateur wrestling because I get excited about this also. Um, whenever you go into high school wrestling, they, they're like, all right, this is how you do it. You bend your knees, you put your hands like this, and then you move sideways. And you move like, So they teach them stands, and then like, all right, they put their hands on you, you pop them down, you pop them up, and you go in here. So it's a very basic way of teaching wrestling, okay? So um, when, my, when my son first got into wrestling, that's what they were doing. So they taught him how to stand. They taught him how to do this. They taught him... They put their hands there, pop it down, and grab their legs. So they taught them all these basic movements. And then as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay. And then after that, they were like, all right, we're going live wrestling. 
So pair up in groups of two or three or whatever, and then they start amateur wrestling. So you know you have both kids going like this, and they're both like going around in circles because all right, coach, show me to put my hands like this, my feet like this, and they're both going like this, and they're not doing anything. And, and then and then and then the kids get close to each other and they try to touch, and oh, you touch and you touch. And I was like, wait a minute, this is this is completely backwards. So afterwards, I went back and I and I talked to my son and I was like, how'd you feel out there? He was like, oh well, I was trying to figure this. I was like, scratch all that. I took him in there. We had a mat downstairs. Him and his buddies went down there, and I teach him how to pin people. That's all we're working as pin, 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 pin. I'm teaching him like the hardest and toughest ways to pin everybody they wrestle. So the next day they go to practice. They go out there, and you know, coach is all here and all this and everything like that. And I was like, barm half, barm half, pin them. But they're both standing up. So they look at me and they're like, "How do we get them down?" I was like, "Just get them down on the ground." You know, because as little boys and little kids, when they start fighting and stuff like that, they don't get into this like awkward stance and, and, and start moving around in circles. Of course, we know we need to do that in order to wrestle, but they know how to take people down. So I was like, let's learn backwards. Let's learn what the goal is. And the goal is to pin people. So now these guys, they just ran up, threw the kid down, boom, throws his half in and starts pinning them. And I was like, there we go. And then, so my philosophy of teaching is almost a backwards way of teaching. I'm going to teach you here. We need to score a touchdown. This is how we score a touchdown. And then here's the steps in order to do it. So now afterwards, my son and his friends, they were, they were going out there and they were like, all right, now I tried to take him down. I couldn't take him down. I was like, why can't you take him down? Well, because he kept blocking with his hand, snap his hands down, then go take him down and do it. So I'm teaching them backwards. And I can, and I, and I saw how these kids really picked up on it. Very, very quickly. And I said, as a young kid, I can't like hammer knowledge of moves in your head so much. I got to get you aggressive, in shape, believe in yourself, and then just go and have fun with it. And if you do that, yeah, you're going to be successful in anything. I loved wrestling when I was younger. And it was like me and my buddies, we'd be fighting in a car driving to the wrestling meet by the time we got there, we're already ready to go because I've been fighting my buddies in the back seat and sides and everything like that. So that's kind of what I want to bring to these kids when I coach them. I want to teach it. I'm going to bring them to almost like that prime style, that coach prime style. He, he gets these kids believing in themselves. Um, like I, there was one, there was one thing that I sent um, Montez and, and Doc is coach prime. One of his promos that he was doing before going out there and he came and he was like, do I need to motivate you? And the way that he did the promo, like I was hyped up about it. And I was like, that's what I want. So my character in WWE, my person and character in WWE and who I am in WWE is that guy. Like, I want to motivate these kids that are coming up, some of these new guys and say, hey, man, the world is yours. You got to go out there and just take it. But it's about the energy and the attitude that you bring towards it. You know, always keep yourself clean. Don't do anything stupid and just work your ass off and keep moving forward. That's what I did. So that's the only way I know how to do things. Tough love. Do you, are, are we yeah. too soft as a society these days when coaching kids? 100%. 100%. 100%. Because, because afterwards, like I, I'm t I'm, like, I have two girls and a boy. My girls, they're my little princess. They get away with murder. I know they do. But that's real life. <laughs> and my, my, my son, my son uh, I'm the harder on him, you know, and, and I have to be because, you know, when as, as your son, as when he grows up, you know, he's going to have to take on a lot of responsibilities. And I, and I, I let him know that, you know, if you have a family, you're responsible for taking care of your family. Sure. Your wife can do really well. She can make good money and everything like that, but you're, you're, the, you're the man. I still want you to be the man of the household. There's certain things that I, I think that you need to do. You open up doors. You, you, you play that role as a man, no matter what. So I am a little harder on him. And then for my daughters, of course, I'm a little lighter on them because I want them to keep their status high. If they go find somebody that they're going to end up being with and she's got to take care of this man has to take care of me better than my dad did. And my dad spoils me. So my daughters will forever be spoiled or <laughs> nobody's with them. I, I dread to think the poor boy who's going to take your daughter out on a date and come and meet daddy. Seriously. And you're just sat there waiting. Oh, yeah. You, you said, you know, daddy was a wrestler, right? He's like, yeah, okay, let's go. Oh, my God. It's, it's Bobby. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, that will be the best behaved boyfriend in history, I suspect. Man, you know what? You know, one of, so my, my oldest daughter, her, her boyfriend, when I met him for the first time, I was like, All right, what should I do here? Because this one's kind of a little serious. She's 19, now 18. 
at the time. And when he came down, this kid was like all smiles. Hey, dude, Mr. Ashley. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sitting there talking with him. You know, I'm, I'm being nice and everything. He was like, he was like, I knew you were a nice guy because I saw some interviews with you and I knew you were a nice guy. And I was just like. <laughs> okay. That, that was, was the like, PR version of Bobby Lashley. You're about to meet the real guy. <laughs> there, there's two different Bobbies. <laughs> I can give you some phone numbers of people to call. <laughs> I have references. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. So what'd you say to him? No, I, I, I've been super nice with him because my daughter's a sweetheart. And, um, and he, he, he really is really nice to my daughter. I just, I just told him, I, I was just, I just gave him that real stern look. And I was like, that little girl is my princess and she means everything to me. And we just had a very awkward silence for a very long time until he, and he was like, and it just went silent for a while. And then there was nothing else needed to be said. There was, a, there was a quote, I think it was from Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, he said, with all negotiations, you speak softly, but carry a big stick. And I think that's exactly what Bobby Lashley did with this kid. Absolutely. Bobby, <laughs> this... look, looking ahead here in WWE, I, I think a lot of fans want to see you rip heads off again. You know, what, what's, know. The what's the motivation for you in this manager role right now? And are we going to see you back in the ring here tearing people apart soon? Oh yeah, I absolutely will be. <laughs> I think I think right now we need to um, give everybody else an opportunity so we can set that bar low to give people an opportunity to reach a certain level, and then when I come in, we press them right back down and and, and make some people nobodies. Again, <laughs> I don't I don't know. The thing that I do want is I do want to win the WWE Championship again. Um, I'd like to be able to win a tag title. The tag title gives me the um, the triple crown. Is that what it is? Um, is that what they call triple crown um, because grand I, slam? I don't know. This grand slam, slam, grand slam. Yes. The grand slam. So, um, yes, I, I, I think I'd like to be a part of a tag team title or win the world title again. I think at, at, when it's all said and done, I think it's, it's, I, I don't want to say it, it's going to be a popularity contest because I hate when that comes into play. Winning titles is not about a popularity contest. Um, cause when I come out, you know, people chant Bobby, 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 and it's not really about that. They acknowledge me for who I am. Um, but, um, it's straight ability to win the title. I think I have the ability to win any title in WWE. I think a lot of guys are very protected right now and they really don't want to see me. So, uh, I'm focusing my attention on some of these other guys, building them up. But when it's my time, I'll go in there and, and I'll take whatever title it is, whether it's a title from Roman, whether it's a title from Seth, whether it's a title from Logan, whether it's a title from Gunter, I feel really confident that I can win any one of those titles and beat any one of those guys anytime. I have so, no doubt about that. And what impresses me more than anything is the fact you've been going so long. You've won so many things. You're a guaranteed Hall of Famer, yet you still have these motivations to keep on competing and prove yourself at the very top. Um, you've mentioned certain goals you still have. Is there a time limit on how long we're going to see Bobby Lashley still competing in the ring? Have you set any any goals with regards to that? No, you know, I, I told I tell my sparring partners, I tell my um, training partners, I tell anybody that works out with me. Um, when you see that I've kind of like missing a step or slowing down a little bit, just tell me. I mean, because you see a lot of times those guys that are fighting in the UFC or boxing or something, and, and they take that one fight too many, and then it almost looks sad. Or you see those guys get in the ring and they just can't move the same. It's like, ah, oh, that's sad. And you, you kind of lose that a little bit. I don't want to be that guy. It's like when Superman gets that kryptonite and you see Superman kind of like falling apart and becoming weak. It's like, I don't, I don't need that. I, I put myself financially in a, in a very, very good position that it's not for the money. Um, it's for my enjoyment. I mean, I truly love going out there and being in front of the crowd and being in front of fans and stuff like that. That really gets me up and it really, and I really like some of the guys that I work with, like, like 
Kevin talks about being in the locker room. Some of the guys there are some of my closest friends and we only talk and hang out at TV, but it's still, it's, it's a friendship and it's a bond that I, that I value. Bobby, lastly from us here, how important is legacy to you? It's everything. It's everything. That's why, that's why I'm always me. Um, at the end of the day, people are going to know me. I think a lot of people in the wrestling business, they know the character, they like the character, they have fun with the character, but to know the real person behind that character, some of them are awful people. <laughs> Whether they're babyface or heels, but they're awful people out the outside. They're very to themselves, they're very closed off. They're, I'm just not that person. And I would, I would much rather be known as um, a good dude, a good father. Um, I don't have an ego when it gets in there. I mean, I fought for 10 years in Bellator Strike Force and a couple other MMA organizations. So I know what my abilities are. And um, for me, I just want to know that I put some smiles on faces. I inspired some people to do some big things in life and, and some people enjoy some of the matches that I had. For me, I'm a very simple person. Outside of that, is what it is. My, my career, my accolades will will put me in the Hall of Fame and, and, and tell my story. But as far as me, I'm me. It's a tough thing to do. A lot of people in this game, when they have success, certainly as much as you've had, or even just a tiny bit of success, that ego takes control and they do become a different person. So I congratulate you on remaining you. That is incredibly tough to do. <laughs> I will always be me, man. I appreciate that. Oh, what a cracking chat. What a brilliant, brilliant conversation. Bobby Lashley, thank you so much for joining thank us here on After the Bell. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. Top man, Bobby Lashley. Now, folks, make sure you're following the show at After the Bell WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow Corey Graves. We're sending lots of love out to Corey and Carmella. It's at WWE Graves. You can follow Wade. It's at Stu Bennett and me, Kev underscore Egan. And for Bobby Lashley, the almighty, click that follow button. It's simply at Fight Bobby on Twitter and at Bobby Lashley on Instagram. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. Just search After the Bell and hit that follow button so you never, ever miss an episode. Full episodes of After the Bell are also available on the WWE YouTube channel every Monday. We'll be back next week, as Corey says, with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE After the Bell. Yeah.